I look at this category and how much money is in this category and um, it's gonna happen. It's just, there's never been a business, there's never been a carcass so tempting, so bloated, swimming so slowly. I feel like I could rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel. Never all right, we just asked Scott Galloway if he was 25 years old again, what businesses would he start? Because this guy started, I think, nine businesses, sold one for over $100 million. And we said, if you were 25, what would you do? What are the ideas, the opportunities, the trends that you would take advantage of? And he gave us two answers. He said, if you had no degree, no college degree, no fancy education, he would do this. And he said, if I had a fancy degree, instead, I would do this other thing. Very cool to hear kind of where his head's at, the small opportunities and the big one, what he called the, the multi-trillion dollar carcass that he can't believe nobody has, uh, has disrupted yet. And on top of that, we asked him about his finances. We talked about when he sold his companies and made his first few million bucks and then tens of millions of dollars all the way up to where, how he got over $100 million, how he lost it along the way. And what were the key moments that allowed him to, to reach those heights with his, with his own finances? You know, I've seen probably 100 interviews with Scott Galloway, and I never heard him reveal these numbers or talk about this so openly. In fact, at one point he goes, I'm naked here. I'm naked here, guys. You got to tell me something. <laughs> and so uh, very, very good interview with Scott Galloway. Enjoy. But, you know, we're not Scott Galloway. We don't have $100 million in the bank. So first, a message from our sponsor. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. Welcome to the pod. Uh, I've been uh, I've been listening to you for a very long time. I was a fan of yours starting, I think, with L2, with the No Mercy, No Malice videos. And the reason I've liked you is I find myself, you might be 15 or 20 years older than me, but I find myself looking up to you because I think we have a lot of very similar characteristics, which are... Erectile dysfunction? Not yet. Anger? Depression? Um, I have hair, but you're pretty buff. You might be buffer than me. I, I admire you for that. Thanks for that. Uh, like You like to post shirtless pics. Yeah, I, I like you for that. I do. But you're very hard to peg down politically. You're 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 kind of like all over the map when it comes to that. You also you you have beautiful language. I'm a big fan of beautiful language. You've got beautiful language. You're better than I am, but I look so I look up to you for that. And you started a bunch of really amazing businesses, but you're kind of known like I've told uh, we did this episode where we talked about your personal finances where you talked mm -hmm. about spending 2 to 400,000 a month mm -hmm. and people were like I didn't know Scott was so rich. And I was like, no, he, he created a bunch of really big companies, but you're more famous for being like Scott Galloway, the brand. And I think that that's pretty cool. And so you've done a bunch right. of really interesting stuff. This is the whole but, episode, uh, by the way. It's just Sam complimenting you. It's like a reverse roast, actually. So you just sit there and you just get compliments. At the end of the hour, you know, you feel good. That that That's what happens here. <laughs> yeah, so far, I just let me say, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a verbal massage. This is this works for me. Uh, anyways, go on. <laughs> Keep going, Sam. <laughs> well, like I read these sentences and I'm like, that's a beautiful line. I love that shit. I just love how he's coming up with that stuff. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, I think it's like I, I think it's really good. And what's crazy is you've had a better career as a as a business person. And I would say the key to my success is re, is rejection, and that is I've had a lot of the marketplace businesses, capital providers, women uh, have provided a great deal of rejection for me. And my skill is my ability to endure that and move on and not let lose my sense of enthusiasm. I, you know, the ability to mourn and move on is key. And the wonderful thing about America is that we don't embrace failure. That's bullshit. But we tolerate it. And I know so many really successful people who are very successful and then they do something on their own or they do something and it doesn't work for them and they get stuck. They just lose their mojo and they can't get past it. They can't handle the bullet to the, to the chest or the bullet to the arm becomes an opportunistic infection that starts damaging everything about them. And I've, that's my only skill. I'm upset. <laughs> you know, I'm really into my dogs. I started an e-commerce company. I wanted to be the William Sonoma Pet Supplies. I put a million bucks of my own money in and I sold it for like a million and a half. So I made some money, not a lot. Um, I invested or I started another e-commerce company. I started a travel site, sold that for a little bit of money. Um, you know, I've had a lot of kind of, and then I've had things where I, you know, I, I ran into a, you know, drove into a wall at 200 miles per hour. I started a company called Red Envelope, which went public on the NASDAQ in 2002. And because I was young and dumb, I kept investing. And then I got in a war with the board and I did a proxy fight and I took over the board and put more of my money in. And then 2008 came and there was a longshoreman strike and a software malfunction at the warehouse where we sent 10,000 gifts to the wrong addresses over the holidays, and then a Wells Fargo analyst who was like 14 decided the credit crisis was coming and pulled our line. And my stock went from seven bucks this year to zero in about 11 days. And when the company had declared chapter 11 and I lost, you know, I lost pretty much everything. Do you remember how much money, uh, when you felt that tipping point where you did feel financially secure, not like bulletproof or nothing will ever will happen, but do you remember the inflection point where you're like, okay, this feels different than I've felt on the, on the climb? I still don't, I still haven't hit that point. I'm still very anxious about money. You know, I had, and I like to be very open about money because I think that not talking about money is basically a decorum that is promoted by the incumbents and the wealthy, such that you don't understand how much money wealthy people have to keep poor and middle-class people under the illusion that, oh, you, you should be paying 45% taxes while I'm paying 17 and I think, I think it's important to be very, I think it's helpful to be transparent. And I talk about how many, much money I've lost, um, all my investments, how much money I've gained, my tax rates, et cetera. But the, the you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm not obsessed with money. I think about it all the time. I'm trying to get a lot more. I'm, I'm giving it away. I, five, from five years ago, I decided I was gonna give away every dollar I made in current income. Because um, I want to start catching up to the non-philanthropic Scott for the first 45 years of his life. But I'm still trying to make a shit ton of money. I still feel financially very insecure. I still worry about a recession becoming a depression. And I'm the guy who lost it again. I've lost it all a couple times. And so I don't feel I'm at that point where I don't have financial anxiety. I do sleep with one eye open. The big, you know, I sold my first company for... 28 million bucks. By the time I split it with my ex and my partner in taxes, I ended up with a few million dollars. Red envelope, I got a few million there, but I always seemed to figure out a way to lose it. But I was able to start again because I never had debt. I've always lived below my means. 
Um, uh, but I would say the big win was probably selling L2. And I like that. Oh, wow, I can buy a plane. Like that was not in my reach before. Um, so that was kind of the big one. That was like all the moons lined up. What was up. the price? What did it sell for? 200 or $300 million? No, it sold for $158 million, but we'd only done one round of venture capital. So the, you know, the common shareholders, you know, I was the largest equity owner. Um, so the top, you know, between me and the top six employees, we probably own 70% of it. Um, so that was, that, you know, that was a lot of money for me. I'd never had that kind of money before. I'd always done well, but I'd never had that kind of, that kind of capital. And then getting to invest that in the midst of a bull market, we sold in 2017. Um, you know, I've, I've made more money investing actually than I've made from my small, from my businesses. And I'm, I got a book coming out in March about uh, financial, um, trying to, develop financial security and you know the ability to create an army of capital even if it's only 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month put it in a tax deferred or tax efficient vehicle diversify it and then let time take over again see above you don't know how fast time is going to go that's where i've built real wealth i mean this doesn't this doesn't make sense for sean because sean is not worried about money at all he's got this thing that i like to call like good emotional health. He's very mm -hmm. emotionally healthy. Mm -hmm. his, his parents did did him well. And he's talked to me about this. Uh, I sold my company two or three years ago and I made a, a fair bit. Enough what did you make? People... I'm, sure, I'm like, I'm naked here. What did you make? <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go, Sam. See? You got to say He's hesitant. Too. He's hesitant because he's worried people no, listen to you. Me. Okay, go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> at the end of the, the process, uh, I walked away with about $20 million. That, and how old are you? Uh, I was about 30, I was 31 or 32. So you should be extraordinary. You should be, unless you really screw up, you should be much wealthier than I am by my age. Cause to get that sort yeah, of but I still, base, I still feel shitty. I feel the same. Like I still, like I felt awesome for a minute and then I felt shitty where I was like, uh, like when I see these world events right now, when I saw like whatever happens every six months, I'm like, the world's going to end. And I, and I do uh, like an eight. I'm boring. Sean makes fun mm -hmm. of me. I do 80, 20 index and bonds. Uh, that, that's the only, I that's only all, own those. That's exactly two. what you should be doing right now. I think so. And I and then I own HubSpot stock still. And then I own Airbnb stock. That's basically basically my portfolio. And um, Sean makes fun of me. He's like, how are you feeling insecure? And I'm like, dude, I'm broken. Like I'm broken. Like I, it doesn't matter how much therapy I go to. I'm just, a, I'm a broke. When it comes to money, I have a scarcity mindset and I'm broken. Yeah, I'm the same way. And when you talk about how you're worth, you know, a hundred million plus and you don't feel secure, it Sean said he's like, what a little bitch. Like, yeah. you know, like, like no, you it. talk about masculinity, man up. You know what I mean? I like, I, I, it's, and I have the same thing. I'm like, I, I can't. So I'll, I'll give I'm you, weak. By, but the only thing I would say is just, uh, I mean, both of you guys are obviously super smart guys, and you know it's sort of uh, irrational that you're feeling that way. And I guess the question I would have, Scott, is like, uh, like you know, you actually are financially secure now, right? Like it would take, um, it would take a lot for you to get to the point where you're not able mm -hmm. to fund your lifestyle or provide for your family or whatever. Mm -hmm. At this at this point, um, so you know that that anxiety is is somewhat irrational, and you're a very smart guy, and you've clearly like done the self-development work in a bunch of other areas of your life. I'm just surprised that I like, I can't tell, is it just one of these like virtue signal things where you're like, Hey guys, I'm just, I'm still like you. I'm still, I still sweat it. And I'm like, Oh, is that what these guys are doing? They're just trying to relate to the common man. Um, or are you actually just not like fixing that 
irrational part of your brain and just being like, uh, you know, you know, working on that, like getting it, getting it right. Um, which one is yeah. it? Yeah. So first off, the neuroses is real. It's not a, it's not a humble brag. It's part of a brag, but it's not a humble brag. It's the neuroses is real, but it's also, it's also a, a feature as well as a bug because I'm all over the people managing my money. I know where my money is. I think a lot about diversifying. Sam, what you're doing is exactly what you should be doing because you're not looking to get, you're looking to get richer, but more than anything, you're looking to not get poor. And the mistake I made at your age when I had some wins was I would double down and I would start another company and put all my money into one thing. Like you're quite frankly, you should be selling down your Airbnb and your HubSpot stock and just letting, you don't need the needle in a haystack. You just need to buy the whole haystack because you've got enough capital. I have a price target. Like I, I, I have like a number where I'm like, when we get to around this, we're gonna, we'll get out of those. Yeah, but I would, do, do, I mean, a longer conversation, but Sean, to your, I think about financial insecurity a lot. It is still very possible. You know, there's been periods in economic history where if you're invested and, you know, you can lose most or all of it, um, I've put a little bit of pressure on myself because, and this is virtue signaling, I give a lot of money away. So, but yeah, I don't. And also I have a really nice lifestyle, but no, the insecurity is still there. I, I, I was always financially insecure growing up. And I just don't know if that goes away, but I, I think some of it is a good thing. I have my eye on stuff. I think about it a lot. And it's like, if you want to be good at money, if you want to be good at anything, if you want to be good at tennis, if you want to be good at stamp collecting, you need to think about it a lot. It doesn't, you know, Roger Federer thinks about tennis a lot, a lot. And if you want to be good at money, uh, I think you have to have a certain amount of financial literacy. You have to understand interest rates. You have to be thinking, wait, when my mortgage rolls in 14 months, is it going to go from two and a quarter percent to 7%? Oh, wait, it is. Does that mean I should be thinking about selling it, paying off my mortgage? You just, if you want to be wealthy, unless you're extraordinarily talented at something, I mean, extraordinarily talented and also can live below your means. And most extraordinarily talented people have a tough time living below their means. It's not how much you make, it's how much you know you spend and your ability to create a delta. So you always save, live below your means. Yeah, the, the insecurity is real. It really, I still am very fearful of being broke. I don't, I don't want to go back there. And now that I'm getting to an age where I, I, I don't have that much time to make it back. So no, the, the insecurity, the insecurity is real. What helps is, is that you have cash flow now. Like a yep. lot of startup people, you're poor, you're poor, you're poor. And then you're poor for seven years. Then mm -hmm. you maybe hopefully have an exit. Then you get a windfall. And then it feels good for a little while. And then you're like, but there's, there's no more income. Um, what changed for me because this podcast and Sean, this podcast has done well is, and, and a few other things that we have got going on in our life. We actually have regular, yeah. really great cash flow. You have the same. Yeah. That has made me feel better is like getting checks every month and like seeing the balance go up on a consistent basis. The cash flow, like there's a difference between entrepreneurs I've found between who sell and just make windfalls versus who have a business that they fully own and they're able to take out income every quarter or, or every year. Um, and having that cash flow definitely makes me feel better. Oh, no doubt. You always want to be making money. And also it keeps you in shape. Be being subject to trying to make as much money as you spend or ideally more at any age keeps you in the market. 
you have to you have to understand what the market values and doesn't value. It keeps you. It's how I, I, I think it keeps me. That and exercise keeps me is is hopefully going to keep me sort of young. And that is understanding how how to how to create something in the marketplace, whether it's a podcast or a book or a talk for me that people are willing to pay for, keeps me in the game. It keeps me in the ring. It keeps me in shape. Uh, so I think it's really important to. And also, you're right. It does. If you at the end of the year know, okay, if my even if my investments are down twenty or thirty percent, which they were last year, I'm still making you know almost as much or more than I spend. That's that you do get huge comfort and peace from that. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You know, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is um, that's different than most is that we, we ask every guest who comes on about what they're seeing now. So like so mm -hmm. far, we talked about the past and mm -hmm. most podcasts are just about your past. How'd you, how'd you do it? But um we like to talk about trends, opportunities. What what business would you be starting, or do you see as something people could start now? Right, like if you go on, if you go on hot ones, you eat hot wings. If you come mm -hmm. on MFM, you talk about ideas and opportunities. That's sort of the shtick. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, we almost canceled this podcast because we didn't know if you were prepped and ready with that. But Sam said, "No, no, no. He's gonna be. He's good. He's good off the cuff. He'll be ready." Mm -hmm. um, what opportunities or ideas do you see today that either you know you're tempted to do, or you say, no, I'm out of the game, mm -hmm. but if I was 25 again, this mm -hmm. is what I would be running at. This is what I would be working on. Um, this is a, a problem that I think somebody could go solve. What do you see out there today? So first off, a lot of it is situational, right? Someone coming out of, someone with a degree from an elite university who has the ability, whose parents will support them and doesn't have a high burn and maybe a partner that works you know, it's just a lot of it's situational. I, I don't like it. I've never liked this hustle culture where people say, go offer to carry Jeff Bezos bags or have coffee. Because some, if you're a single mother, that's just not an option for you. So some of it's situational. So I'll go through a few situations. If I'm a young man or woman and I haven't had the opportunity to get credentialed, I don't have a traditional four-year college degree, much less a college degree from an elite institution, I think there are going to be a lot of businesses, whether it's carpet cleaning or gas stations or, uh, you know, hanging and selling draperies into small furniture companies that are owned by boomers. They're going to need a uh, transition. Nice small businesses and these individuals will need liquidity events. They're just aging out of the business. They don't, you know, they're hitting their 60s and 70s and they don't want to be calling on car washes to sell in you know, their product or whatever it is. And these are businesses doing between half a million and 10 million a year that have no succession strategy. Because if they made money, their kids don't want to be in this type of business because their kid went to Emory and wants to go to work at Google. And I would try and find, be really scrappy about getting into a business, understanding it, trying to find people who own it and figure out 
a way to buy it using that person's capital. Approach somebody and say, I want to take over your business. I'm going to buy it slowly over five years, and then I'm going to give you coupons so you can retire. Um, if I'm a credentialed person, if I have a degree, I'm fortunate enough, I would go to work for a big platform. I think we live in an era of, of where antitrust is no longer in effect. So the big companies, if you were to divide the stock market into deciles, the 10 the companies with the largest market cap over the last 30 years have outperformed the bottom nine by huge factor. So going to work for a big company is vastly underrated. They can abuse their monopoly position. They will have that mole re removed. You will get rich slowly working at Google or at McKinsey. So if you're credentialed, uh, you know, we over romanticize entrepreneurship. If you have the ability to get into the greatest wealth creating vehicle in history, and that is the US corporation, do it. But they have security at the front saying, do you have a degree from an elite college? But if you do, absolutely go to work for a big multinational conglomerate. If you're an entrepreneur, I think that the, and credentialed and can raise money, I would say that the intersection between AI and healthcare, the most disruptable business in the world is US healthcare, three and a half to $4 trillion. Four out of five people aren't happy with it. It's costs of outpaced inflation for the last 40 years, meaning it's got the biggest chin in the world. And I think the fists of stone coming for it are, uh, is artificial intelligence, where we can take healthcare from a defensive-based industry to offensive. I give my grocery receipts, my workout routine, my healthcare records, my sleep patterns to a company that figures it all out and then gives me prescriptive, goes on offense, proactive, lifestyle, grocery, and exercise recommendations. And I think there's just gonna be a ton of niche businesses in healthcare that leverage some form of AI. Are there any out there that you like? Yeah, uh, I'm an investor in a company called 98.6 that does text-based healthcare. It's a private company, so we sell into B2B, a big, you know, Sam's, and Sam's offers for $3 a month to every employee, or we charge them three bucks a month, an ability to text Somebody in an AI says, okay, that's, it's, a, it's a rash. We're getting a dermatologist on the line. They look at the rash using your smartphone and say, this is fine. I'm sending you a cream hit, and, or we, this needs a prescription. We're hitting the pharmacy. And by the way, that, that investment I've written down by 80%. It's been really hard. I've, I've lost money so far on that. So I don't want to pretend that this is all easy. But I would say if I were young and had intellectual capital and credentialing, I would go into something around AI and healthcare. And then- Man, well, like that shocks me that you said that, say that because when I look at, I've done a few healthcare things and I look at like the landscape, it seems like impossible to like, it just, there seems like there's a shit ton of regulation. Figuring out insurance companies seems like the hardest thing there is. Um, and even though everyone is frustrated about their setup, this seems like a, like a very challenging space to crack into. And of course there's, there's huge rewards if you can pull it off, but it seems very, very challenging. I, I just look at this, I look at this category and how much money's in this category and um, it's gonna happen. It's just, there's never been a business, there's never been a carcass so tempting, so bloated, swimming so slowly as US-based healthcare. We spend $13,000 per person, but we die earlier and we're obese and we're more depressed. The UK spends six and a half that. How can the UK and Australia be living longer and spending half what we in the US spend on healthcare? That's just the mother of all chins. 
there's going to be disruption there, and I'd want to get in the way of that. The other thing I'm really excited about, and I think it's the most underhyped, I just did a blog post on this. I think GLP-1 is bigger than GPT-4. What's GLP-1? Ozempic, Wagovia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which I, I've, I've tested semi-glutide a ton. It's amazing. Um, like, I think there's, like, so many crazy implications on what it could do. Like, I think, I think it could, I've, I've been saying this, I don't know shit, by the way, other than I tested it and I had drinking problems in the past. I think it could, like, so- help solve alcoholism. I think there's so many crazy things. There was this guy on Twitter, uh, our, our buddy from uh, CB Insights was like, <laughs> what did he say? Did he say that... Um, uh, food companies are going to lose money because people are eating less. And he said airline companies are going to make more money because people weigh less. He's like, that's how big of a deal these drugs are. If I was starting a hedge fund right now, I would have a fund that did nothing but go short. Food stocks, McDonald's. Nobody walks into Arby's and looks around and thinks, this was a good decision. No one ever thinks that. <laughs> and if all of a sudden I could get an injection or take a pill every week that helped me make better decisions... Our instincts have not caught up to the institutional production of our economy. We drink too much. We eat any anytime we're near salt, fat, or sugar, we gorge. Because for 99, again, 99% of our species history, we couldn't find these things. When mating, the, the majority of men have had almost no mating opportunities through history. A small minority of men have had all the mating opportunities. And then you're presented with a reasonable facsimile of sex called porn. And there's a, there's a decent segment of men out there who aren't working, aren't getting out of the house because they're staying home and watching too much porn. And they're also not engaging in relationships. We drink too much. I'm addicted to other people's affirmation. My kid is on Snap too much. This could be scaffolding. I mean, the weight loss thing is arguably the biggest addressable market in the world. 40% of America is obese, 70% is obese and overweight. But even bigger than that, this could be the scaffolding on our instincts to update our instincts to where they need to be with the industrial production that has gone exponential in the last 100, 150 years with assembly line technology and the microprocessor and say, okay, Scott, you like THC too much. You like alcohol way too much. You're too desperate for other people's affirmation. And what people say about you on Twitter bums you out way too much. We're going to calibrate these GLP-1 drugs to help you moderate your cravings. I mean, what these things do is they moderate your cravings when your cravings are getting the incorrect signals from 300,000 years of instinct on, on the savannah. And everybody, I mean, they're finding out, they're finding out people on Ozempic drink 60% less alcohol. They're biting their nails less. So the opportunity to update our instincts for the entire, I mean, the market, I'm just, I'm blown away by this thing. (laughs) I think it could be just enormous. And there isn't anybody that doesn't have, that has instincts, that that has a behavioral model that that is driven by instinct that is caught up to our world. I don't care who you are. Have you tried it? I haven't, but as you can tell, I'm ready. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, geez, I feel like you just injected me digitally just now with it. That was amazing. <laughs> you know how much it costs a month? It's about a thousand bucks a month, right? It, it's between five hundred and a thousand dollars a month. When I was trying it, it was five hundred a month out of pocket. Most insurance companies, and and I think if you have diabetes, they actually only cover it. I think for a limited time, but most people using it now 
are are just paying five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. And here's the crazy shit about this drug: you have to increase your dosage every week. So you start with a very small amount, and every right? two weeks or so, you have to increase it. Like forever? Well, I, I don't know forever, but over a course of at least a year, you have to. So the I, like when I first started taking it, I would t- I would test out just a little bit, and it would make me a little bit sick to my stomach. You know, it, the the downside of there's a few downsides. One is upset stomach. And then after about three weeks, I'm like, all right, I feel great. Let's let's increase it. And then now at the end of uh, six months, you're taking 10 times. You're, you're basically on a syringe. You got to fill the thing up to 100. At first, you fill it up to 10. And over a year, you have to increase it. And so you have to pay more and more money. What could go wrong? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that. I, I, like I, I've, I've tested it. One downside is I actually don't know if you develop healthy eating habits. You just eat less. And you lose muscle. You lose muscle. Uh, th- there are definitely downsides to it. it. It's not a terribly new drug. Like uh, I think that these types of things have been around for like 30 years. So there's some studies, but like the, as it's being prescribed now, it's definitely new-ish. So there are definitely going to be downsides, but it's super promising. Uh, another one is uh, metformin, which isn't in the same, um, which isn't in the same category entirely, but it does similar things. That's super interesting. I always think it's interesting when people like Sam Altman, like these mm-hmm. geniuses who like see everything, take it. And he's been like, this is the drug I take. I take metformin all the time. So that's super fascinating. So I agree. I think I think these this classification of drugs is, is quite well, interesting. I mean, I was even thinking, I'm trying to figure out the second order effects here. And like, does Moderna stock go down 80%? Because the reality is, see the pandemic, we, the far right, weaponized and politicized masks and vaccines and decided, well, if you take them, it means you're far left. So if you're far right, you don't want to take these things. On the far left, we weaponized and politicized obesity. We didn't want to acknowledge that 88% of mortalities had one comorbidity, uh, at least, that was obesity related. And we started with this trope of, oh, you're not obese, you're finding your truth. No, you're not, you're finding diabetes. There's nothing to celebrate here. (laughs) And so we decided we didn't want to have an open conversation about the fact that America is obese. Forty percent of America, the kids, you're more likely to commit suicide, obesity in children. It's terrible. You're much more likely to be depressed as an adult, not go to college and become more likely to kill yourself. I mean, so what happens to Moderna stock? If all of a sudden we drastically reduce, if you drastically reduce obesity in America, you drastically reduce the vulnerability of the population to a coronavirus. So do you need Moderna? I mean, at, at some point, the reality is a 25-year-old who's thin, yeah, you get vaccinated for a variety of reasons, but it's not, it, 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 at some point it becomes less obvious whether you need these vaccines when the society is healthy and not obese. I, I mean, I'm just kind of blown away. Hospital networks, entire hospital networks could go out of business if they're really honest. The Milken Institute said obesity-related costs are $1.7 trillion a year. When you look at everything from knee replacements to cardiac to cancers that are obesity-related, we're looking at $1.7 trillion a year. That's 7% of our economy. So what happens when the entire economy gets a cost cut of 7%? So I, I'd want to get kind of near this technology. I think this technology is going to have a bigger impact on the real economy than AI. I think AI, we've kind of hit peak AI. I love it. I use it a lot, but it's a little bit overhyped right now. We're definitely kind of, I would say, I think about a month ago, we hit peak AI in terms of, as, from an investor standpoint, I would not want to be buying into 
AI companies right now. As an entrepreneur, I'd want to be raising money for an AI company. But I, anyways, you asked me what I was excited about. Trying to find a baby boomer that wants to sell a small business and do seller financing. Uh, if you have certification, you're fortunate enough for whatever reason, you either have rich parents or you're freakishly remarkable and you ended up at Dartmouth, go to work for a big American company. We are, they're amazing. You'll get rich slowly. Smart people, great place to meet mentors, great place to meet mates. Uh, you just, just uh, these companies are totally underrated in terms of their power and what they can do for you professionally and economically. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, something around healthcare and AI, and I think from an investment standpoint, uh, I just want to be near, I'm very excited about GLP-1 as an emerging technology. We need to get you to start taking it. So we can just... Well, have, have you not taken it because you're afraid of the side effects or have you not taken it because you're like, I'm already cut, I don't need this? Oh, no, I'd like, look, I think, I, I don't know this, but who, who GLP-1 should be, uh, who, who it should reach right now is poor and middle-income households that are obese. That's where the greatest societal benefit would be right now. Who I think is probably driving the sales are rich people who want to lose the last 10 or 20 pounds. Right. That's my gut. My gut is that the people taking it right now. That's yeah, the Hollywood drug. 100%. More MFM in just a minute. First, let me tell you about one of the joys in my life, and that is a virtual assistant. You know, here's the scenario. I'm running my companies. I spend 30% of my time just doing random bullshit. The stuff that has to get done but it's not creativity. It doesn't require me and it doesn't add a bunch of value to the business. It's just stuff. And so that stuff is what a virtual assistant does. So having a virtual assistant is a no-brainer, whether it's travel booking, email inbox, or just knocking stuff off your personal to-do list that would have just lingered there forever. I think it's a no-brainer. If you're a business owner, you should definitely do it. I think one of the best places to find an assistant is Shepard. So go to supportshepherd.com. Super affordable. It's something that um, you know you don't need to have the biggest business ever, be the biggest big shot in order to afford it. So it's amazing. Go to supportshepherd.com, check them out and tell them I sent you. They'll take good care of you if you do that. So supportshepherd.com, check it out. All right, let's get back to the pod. Dude, I went to, I went to CVS the other day. I had to get like the whooping cough vaccine. And I went to CVS and I had to wait for an hour to get the vaccine. Five people were in line. I, the fucking worst thing about CVS and Walgreens is they say out loud, oh, are you here to pick up your Cymbalta? <laughs> like they say it like really loud. <laughs> like, and I'm like, the fuck? Five people had lied and it was all older people who looked like they had diabetes. Five people, they were like, oh, are you here for the Ozempic? And like they say what the pricing is and they go, all right. I'll pay it. And, and, and these people, it, it was like the white New Balance crowd. It wasn't like a, like, you know, it, like a, it was the Wrangler jeans crowd. This wasn't like a, like a high, they, they didn't, I didn't stereotype these people as like yuppies and they were swiping their card. Just what? jump up and yell, chlamydia? Oh wait, you said something else. Never mind. <laughs> I hate that about yeah, the pharmacies cool. where they say, I'm like, can you, I'm like, can you shut the fuck up? Scott, this could be your philanthropy thing. You should be giving away GLP-1 to the, to the masses. That could be your moment. That, nobody's on that train. So uh, you inspired a thought like, when I was 19, I had terrible, I had terrible acne growing up. And it was a real source of enormous insecurity for me. And I was painfully thin. I looked like Ichabod Crane with bad skin. And it was just really, <laughs> really painful. And I was starting to get scars on my face because my acne was so bad. And I started taking, taking Accutane. And it was about the time I made the crew team at UCLA. And I put on a bunch of weight and a bunch of muscle and my skin cleared up and it literally changed my life. It just changed my life. Uh, and not only because, I, 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 you know, 
I was, people were more attracted to me and I started having sex, which was a wonderful thing in my life, but I just felt so much better about myself. And still to this day, and it's probably inappropriate, I was at a gas station and the gas attendant had just terrible acne. And I'm like, take this as you want. I don't mean to offend you, but if you heard, you know, there's, 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 there's great drugs uh, for this. So I'm out there basically trying to prescribe as not as an unlicensed doctor, <laughs> um, I don't know what made me think of that. But uh, this drug, that drug, literally, I, I found the guy who invented it. This guy who sold the patent to Hoffman LaRoche, and I tried to write him a letter, and they're like, "Well, he's dead, but we appreciate the letter." Um, anyways, anyways, <laughs> but no, I haven't taken it. I haven't taken it. I do take, I do take creatine. Uh, I struggle with. Uh, no one's going to feel bad about this. I struggle with keeping weight on. Creatine's all so the rage far, right now. Said uh, uh, I've made a bunch of money and I just don't feel good. And uh, God, it's hard for me to to put weight on. I just keep losing yeah, it. Me. So you're two for two on uh, on unlikable. <laughs> hate, yeah, punch, cry punchable. me a river, boss. <laughs> yeah, cry exactly. me a river. <laughs> yeah, I'm too rich and too thin. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Professor yeah, Punchable. Really. We've got Professor Punchable. I hate on the that guy. Today. <laughs> I hate that guy. Well, you you do get a lot of punches. There's the the oh, yeah. what's it called the inverse um, the, the inverse oh, the inverse uh, Galloway index the inverse yeah. Galloway index. Yeah, what do you yeah. think about that? That's pretty good. I, I like that. Yeah, and the craziest call was the Macy's the Macy's call. That was a well. Crazy. I'm gonna, I, I want to apologize in advance, but I'm going to sound defensive. The Macy's call was I said that multi-channel. I said that about ten years ago in Germany at a talk, and I said that multi-channel retail was the future of marketing. And that Macy's, who had a great website and stores, I said that was the future. And in the same talk, I said, I believe Amazon will buy stores. And I said, I think Amazon will buy Whole Foods. But my detractors don't take that clip. <laughs> they take the clip when I said the future looks more like Macy's. The anti-Galloway ETF or index, it's a bit cherry-picked because I know my picks and they've actually done pretty well. But um, the reality is... The, gal the, the index says, since October 4th, 2019, tech companies that the professor has predicted would fail have outperformed the S&P and seen a whopping 61% return, even excluding Tesla. When was that published? I don't know. Because uh, I think, I, well, one, I picked, I picked some companies that would lose that skyrocketed, specifically Tesla, um, but I think someone who tracks it as of last year, the end of last year, because a lot of those stocks got hammered, it was it was it was up again. But I want to be clear: I get it, I get it wrong all the time, and someone who makes predictions like me should be held accountable. What I find though is that the in, people stop tracking the index when it's there's no longer a story there. When I, I mean, this is what I've found um, when I talk about when I say that I think that Tesla is overvalued. By the uh, way, you're right. Last updated uh, on one of these, the inverse gallery index.com last updated 228, 2022, which is, I, well, I no believe- Well, no one's interested because the narrative's right no longer Right when the market there. started to turn. Yeah, because quite frankly, the index is probably overperforming right now. And no one's interested in that because the people who invented the index, what I find generally, especially on Twitter, is when I- and disparaging about a company or cryptocurrency, the people who are along that start engaging in not only professional assa uh, assassination, but character assassination. Whenever someone really comes after me, I'm like, they must be an investor in one of the companies I have been critical of.
I would say don't never get in between a venture capitalist and their second million because they will take to Twitter and call you a plagiarist or accuse you of having done terrible things at NYU, which you've never ever been accused of, much less people have, people have found you guilty of. What, what did they accuse you of? I'm not even going to go there. I've been accused of everything. Like behavior stuff or just getting uh, picks wrong? Oh, I know. It gets really ugly. And then you click on the Twitter account. It's a picture of a dog and there's no, it's an anonymous account. It, I think that there are venture capitalists who you know fairly well, who when I'm, when I'm saying this company, this cryptocurrency, this coin, the underlying technology, there is no underlying technology, and they are funding it with their brand name such that they can dump it because they don't have to disclose their sales. And they hire a PR agency that creates 10,000 bots and then creates a list of people who don't think Cumrocket is going to replace the dollar. Here, I've got a good shirt that you can wear for, for when you're having those conversations. Cryptos for virgins? No, I would say, yeah. yeah, no, it's for people. Yeah, that's right. It it means you've never <laughs> kissed a girl. Um, anyways, but what I have found is, and I wasn't used to getting attacked like that. And every time I tried to, you know, I, I hired a firm to unmask some of the people who were attacking me. It was clearly like the same language. I'm like, they're using fake accounts. And it was almost always someone who had a large financial position in a company that I said, was overvalued. But look, at the end of the day, I should be held accountable. And when I get it wrong, you know, I'll have several million people on Twitter point it out. Um, but as somebody who is very close to his own stock picks, you know, things have kind of worked out over here. Wait, wait, you hired a firm to figure out who's behind these Twitter accounts? I think it's, so I, I think it's m political. I've been very critical of Putin. And I'm fairly, and I know this sounds paranoid, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. If I were Putin, I would hire, I would spend a small amount of money. I'm spending $100 billion a year in Ukraine and 100,000 lives. Why wouldn't I take 5% of that or $5 billion and take some very bright scientists and uh, do AI-generated A-B testing and create a list of my five, seven, 10,000 biggest detractors who are pro-Ukraine and start slowly but surely undermining their authority on social media platforms that have a moral, a moral management team who will cash my checks and slowly but surely start undermining their authority. That's what I would do. Do you have any proof that anything like that has happened? Or yeah, is this just boss, a, go into my idea. comments? Go, go, any well, anytime, I don't know. You, that's not, anytime, that's not, that in itself is not anytime, proof. It could just be someone anytime, who hates you. Anytime you say anything, you'll do it. Go on and talk about Ukraine. And you're going to start to see a lot of people attacking you personally and professionally who are anonymous. And you could say, wow, it's just amazing that all of these anonymous bots seem to have decided to engage in character assassination because I consistently am pro-Ukraine. And wouldn't they be stupid not to do it? Because people don't look, click on the profile, they just see the comment. And it's always the same language, Professor Galloway. I don't know. It's like, what, what's the threshold of you're a, you're, I, in my eyes, you're a big deal. But what's the threshold of you're a big deal to decision makers who decide these things? But it's all about public opinion. You can't win a war without public support. You can't lose one with public support. So the Putin, the fastest blue line path to victory in Ukraine for Putin is the election of Donald Trump, in my view, and also uh trying to diminish or reduce public support for the war there. So wouldn't they be stupid to not have the GRU identify the 10,000 most critical people or biggest supporters of Ukraine 
and slowly but surely undermine their credibility. That's what I, why would, they'd be stupid not to do that, especially on platforms that will cash anybody's checks. And as it relates to the fog of misinformation are fucking smoke machines. Why on earth would they not do that? No, I mean, I, I think they should. I, I was just, I'm giving you a hard time of like, are you, are you a big enough fish? Which that, that's what, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Oh, I might be 20,000 out of a list of 20,000 people, but I think I've made the list when I go on. <laughs> it's actually the, like Forbes 30 into 30 bullshit. Putin's 10,000 under 10,000. That's the list. Well, that's the okay. real list of influence. If, you, right if there. you go on face the nation and say, this is the best investment in the history of the West unifying for the first time, Europe is a union. We've taken NATO out of the brain coma. We push back on a murderous fascist 90 years ago. This is a wonderful moment for the West. It's 10% of our military, but this is the best investment we ever made. I think that qualifies me to get on the list. That's what, um, well, are, are you enjoying being Scott Galloway, the brand more than being Scott Galloway, the founder of like, an, are you enjoying it more than being an operator of companies or are you enjoying, uh, the, I mean, I, you have some cool blog posts where you're like, when people say hi to me in the streets, I love it. It makes me feel great. Or, Which one are you enjoying more? Scott Galloway, the brand or Scott Galloway, the business person? Oh, on the whole, this is really wonderful. I mean, people come up to me and are super nice and, you know, I'm at that age. I have 13 and 16-year-old boys, so everything I do is just, like, tragically uncool in their eyes. They don't really seem to like me a great deal. So when someone comes up to me, it happened yesterday, and, like, wants a picture with me, and they're excited to meet me in front of my boys. To be honest, it just feels really nice. And people, generally speaking, are just so nice. And they come up, and I get to meet new people. Yeah, it's awesome, and it feels very gratifying. I'm also... We talked about addictions. I'm addicted to affirmation from strangers. It's sort of pathetic, but I at least know it so I can modulate it. <laughs> and it's really wonderful. People are really friendly and really nice. Uh, you know, I went to the Arsenal game with my boys and a bunch of people came up to me and said hi. And I was at the Taylor Swift conference, con uh, concert and the six-year-old girl had made me a bracelet and came up and gave me a bracelet. I mean, it's just like, I have all these wonderful moments with strangers. So. It's wonderful. I do think there is an algorithm for happiness, though, a pretty good one, and that is to be rich but anonymous. Because at some point, I'm going to become the villain. And some of the things you talked about before, there's a, an entire industry in America around building people up and then tearing them down. And so I wonder when my story turns to the villain. Because, you know, at some point, I'll probably fuck up and say something really stupid, and then wham, people will weigh in. But for the time being... Oh, it's wonderful. People are nice. I just, it's so rewarding, really rewarding. We're, um, we're coming up on the, on our time, but I, I had one, one last question. I, I saw you talk, uh, I've seen you talk a few times and I've watched your stuff on YouTube. The difference between your talks and most everyone's talks is you kind of break a, a bunch of the rules. So you have like 150 slides. Uh, each slide has lots of information on it. And you talk super fast. You've got a really beautiful rhythm. It's I, I say fast, but fast in a good way. What is the process of like coming up with one of these talks? Because your talks seem way more lucrative. Like one of your talks would be like maybe a big blog post that I wrote or that I would write. And I imagine having like a talk is significantly more lucrative and probably way more fun. You could travel all over, all over the world and, and deliver them. What's uh, What's that process of like, you start with a headline and then you're like, let me go find data. You find a data point and you're like, I'm going to build something around this. Yeah. So speaking is the most lucrative business I've ever been. And I had 
340 inbound requests for speaking. I accepted 30 of them. I averaged $112,000 per speaking engagement. And my attitude is someone's going to pay me $112,000. I can't just show up and be charming and interesting and like be me on stage. I've got to bring something really unique. And so I will spend the better part of three months with a team of analysts at Prop G trying to come up with themes and data and slides and humor and video clips and then choreograph it and practice it over and over and then test it and try and make it something where you go, okay, when... I mean, it's just like a comedian. Well, uh, humor is a great way to lower people's defenses such that they'll be open to new ideas. And so when I say things that are provocative or I'm asking them to think something different, humor is a fantastic way to soften the beach for new ideas. But you're testing your, like, you know, before you get the Netflix show, you're like testing it on the, on the, on the small. Um, yeah. But if I'm at, if I'm a MasterCard and they're spending me a hundred, you know, they're spending 150,000 bucks to have me speak for an hour in Barcelona, which I did last week. You can't just show up and be Scott Galloway. I've got to be a guy who rep, who gets finds these incredibly smart people to pull data together and that do a great job in my design team. And you know, greatness is in the agency of others. So, but it's a ton of fun. I get to go to interesting places. I get to pick the most interesting, cool ones. And it's a nice, and I have an impact. I talk a lot about struggling young men, which is really something I'm passionate about and it's really rewarding. I feel like I'm having a difference. I get to go to cool places. So I kind of feel like it's my victory lap right now. I get to just sort of run around and, you know, but I'm, but if someone's going to pay that kind of money, you just can't show up and just start talking and, you know, a bunch of war stories about how awesome you are. You got to show up with real <laughs> insight or something that's going to catalyze a conversation with data they haven't seen before. Back to the drawing board for me then. I thought that's, uh, I thought what I was doing <laughs> is uh, showing up and giving myself a victory lap. <laughs> Dude, have you seen one of his talks? Like every slide has like a data point that is quite good and a story behind it. And I'm like, dude, just finding this data is, yeah, is a really job. Good. You're you're an excellent performer, uh, a spherical, a speaker, and like Sam said, you're very lyrical. We we enjoy uh, Thanks, we enjoy what you do. I think you're you're really great at what you do. That. I don't know how you were as an entrepreneur, but like I can't. I feel like this is what you were meant to do is to. Oh, to be smart and then, um, you know, package that up and perform that because you can't educate without entertaining and you do a great job of both. Um, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Congrats on your success. Yeah, thank you. We, I think you and I, I, I think our pods are are uh, going back and forth sometimes in the charts. So I look forward to uh, uh, kicking your ass. I will bury you. <laughs> see you in the trenches uh thanks man we appreciate it. scott galloway thanks again guys that's the pod i feel like i can rule the world i know i could be what i want to uh, i put my all in it like no days off on the road let's travel never looking back like